Good morning. It's good to see you this morning. It may be rainy and dreary outside, but we have the light of the Lord with us this morning. Amen. Hear from the words, Psalm 92. It is good to give thanks to the Lord, to sing praises to your name, O Most High, to declare your steadfast love in the morning and your faithfulness by night, to the music of the lute and the harp, to the melody of the lyre. For you, O Lord, have made me glad by your work. At the works of your hands I sing for joy. How great are your works, O Lord.
Oh, sing to the Lord a new song. Sing to the Lord all the earth. Sing to the Lord and bless his name. Tell of his salvation from day to day. Declare his glory among the nations, his marvelous works among all the peoples. For great is the Lord and greatly to be praised. Would you stand with me as we praise the Lord this morning together? Sing with me. Praise to the Lord, the Almighty, the King of creation. Oh, my soul, praise Him, for He is thy health and salvation. All ye who hear, now to His temple draw near. Praise Him in glad to the Lord who are all things so wondrously reigned shelters thee under his wings yes so gently sustained hast thou not seen how all thy longings have been granted in what he
thank you so much for being with us today. We do want to welcome you. If you're a guest of ours, we uh, want to ask you to please take one of the care cards. Uh, they're located there in the rack in front of you. And fill in your information. We at least want to send you something from our church this week. And thank you for being a part of our worship service today. Uh, please remember uh, Kevin Knight yesterday, his daughter Caroline, and Devin Munn uh, were married yesterday. And he was up and, man, he was cutting a rug last night. I almost took video for blackmail, um, but he is, he is taking some time today to be with his family and his parents are here, and uh, so I know you'll want to encourage him and congratulate them uh, in, in Caroline and Devin's uh, wedding yesterday. Uh, but again, thank you, all of you, for being here today. Uh, and on the care card also, one other uh, mention, on the back of the care card is a place for you to write any prayer requests uh, that you might have. As you leave today, all those care cards can go in the boxes on the round table. And we'll make sure they get to the right people uh, that need to see those and pray for you. We do see those and we do pray for those when we get those on Monday. So please take a moment to do that. We're going to pray in just a few minutes. Uh, and um, just singing that song this morning, praise, uh, praise the Lord, that whole chorus. Sherry played a, a, a video clip for me uh, from Ukraine this week of the Christians who were hiding out in the subway uh, singing in harmony and melody praises to the Lord. And to think that they could do that in that time of struggle uh, is pretty amazing. It was kind of um, an emotional thing to, to hear that. Uh, and we're going we're gonna to pray for them, too, in just a minute uh, as we go into our prayer time in just a moment. There are a few other announcements I do need to make. Uh, tonight, we begin a new discipleship series right here at 5 o'clock in this room. Our pastor is going to be uh, facilitating uh, this uh, discipleship series called Three Circles. Uh, you know, we wake up in the day, and I wonder how many times, and I'm guilty too, of thinking about all of the things I've got to get done that day. And I wonder in my heart when I wake up, is on my mind, you know what, God, I would love to lead somebody to Jesus today. Man, that needs to be in my prayer more often. And the things that we're going to be talking about in this course is how simple it is to change our mindset into thinking through conversationally, relationship-wise, how I can tell people about Jesus. Boy, we need to be doing that, church. As a church, we're all called to do that. You know, it's not my job as a minister to actually tell people about Jesus. Did you know that? You say, oh, but it is my job as a believer. And you know what? It's your job as a believer. But it's our job as ministers to teach you how to do that. We want to do that tonight. And if we don't do that, we are, as, as church leaders, not doing what God has called us to do. So please come back tonight, 5 o'clock for the next five weeks. We're going to be going over strategies and things to help you, give you practical tools to be able to share with your neighbors, the people that you know and love, coworkers, family members, how they can know Jesus personally. Folks, do you think that's important? That's why we're here. That's why we're, what we're called to do. Ladies, I want to encourage you to get your tickets for the upcoming Ladies Movie Night on Thursday, March 10th. Those tickets are $5. Include your refreshments. Uh, they're at the info desk in the lobby through March 6th. So please, uh, 6th, please go by and get those. And then there's a mission trip on August 6th through the 13th. 
to uh, Anchorage, Alaska. There are several openings still uh, available for that trip. If you would be interested in more information, uh, if you would please see Janet Blanford. Janet, wave at us. She's right over here. Uh, she would love to talk to you to fill those spots to be a part of that trip. Again, August 6th through the 13th to Anchorage, Alaska. And then don't forget, April 9th is Golf for Missions uh, Tournament. This is a sport, our youth mission team, that will be going to Alaska this summer. The cost is $60 and is due by next Sunday, April 3rd. If you have uh, questions about that, please see Kevin Knight. And again, he'll be back again next week. Uh, today is the deadline for our Teen Valley Ranch family retreat, and that's for everybody, for our church family, to go and be a part of on March 18th through the 20th. There are info sheets at the information desk, and you can also see Amy Alley about more information on that. Folks, as we go into our prayer time, I just want to ask you to bow your head silently, and I want to lead us in a little bit of directed prayer this morning. Uh, and so will you pray with me in your heart as I, as I mention these things? The first thing is for Ukraine, for the people of Ukraine, for those that are dealing right now uh, in the pains of war, for our brothers and sisters who are there, for missionaries who are there, that God would give them safety. And then, you know, the Bible instructs us to pray for our leaders. We need to pray for those in Washington who are making decisions right now, that they would seek your face, God that they would look for your wisdom. God, for our country, that we would turn to you, God. You know, it's not economics that's the problem in our country. It's not political viewpoints. Folks, there's a morality issue in America. And we need to pray that our country wakes up to the truth of God's word. You agree? Would you say amen? God, we live in difficult days. In days that in our flesh we would be tempted to fear. But God, we trust you. We know that you love us. And God, none of this that is going on in our world today is a mystery or a surprise at all to you. So God, in your sovereignty, we pray that you would do your will. God, that we would be a part of seeking what that is and getting on board to do it too. Our days may be short. It may be soon. It's sooner today than it was yesterday to Jesus' return. And God, we have work to do. I pray as we even come together tonight at 5 o'clock that we would be trained and burdened to tell those around us who Jesus is and that they would uh, hear the truth and receive the truth and come to know Jesus as their Savior. God, be with those that are struggling uh, overseas right now. Be with our military be with those that are fighting God we pray that justice would prevail God we pray for our service today we know Pastor Scott has studied this week you've given him a message I pray God that you would speak through your servant today use his words challenge our hearts help us to be better 
in our walk with you because of coming today. We ask all these things in your precious son's name and all of God's people said, amen. Would you stand as we continue to worship together?
melody of every song we could ever sing. Worthy of all the praise we could ever bring. Worthy of every breath we could ever breathe. We live for you. Jesus, the name above every other name. Jesus, the only one who could ever save. Worthy of every breath we could ever breathe. We live for you. song we could ever sing, worthy of every praise we could ever breathe, worthy of every breath we could ever breathe, we live for you. Jesus, the name above every other name. Jesus, the only one who could ever save. Worthy of every breath we could ever breathe, we live for
Take your Bibles and turn with me this morning to Genesis 14. Genesis 14. Fighting the good fight of faith. I thought about uh, renaming this message to Unintended Consequences. I think that title too would fit as you'll see. Uh, Let me say a word about tonight. I know Kevin mentioned that. Uh, Let me give you an assignment. And that is to bring with you a white dinner napkin. A white dinner napkin. Bring it to church. And a pen that you can write on that dinner napkin with. You're going to see from this three circles how simple an approach this is to share our faith. A first grader can do it. There's nothing difficult about it. In fact, you're going to have time to practice, too, what we're going to go over tonight, okay? So bring a white dinner napkin and a pen or a pencil with you, preferably a pen, obviously, to write on the dinner napkin. And uh, we'll get started with that uh, this evening. Now, as you turn to Genesis 14, uh, let me say for the past two weeks, people have come to me all during the week and said about those messages, Pastor, that one had my name and my address and my phone number on it. That one was just for me two weeks ago talking about faltering faith or stumbling faith and last week about starting over. Uh, You can listen to those messages online if you missed them, but people said that those messages had my name on them. People told me that past two weeks. You turn to Genesis 14, and you're probably thinking, what in the world are we going to do with Genesis 14? I bet you you have probably never heard a sermon before on Genesis 14. Probably never. And I doubt anybody in here would ever say, this is on my top ten list of favorite passages in the Bible. But folks, we need to understand something. Genesis 14 is just as inspired as is John 3.16. Okay? And there is a reason God included this in the canon of Scripture. And we need to understand it. God has given it for our instruction. And so we need to understand it. And you know, in a message, there will be the then, the past tense, and the now. And this is a passage I absolutely have to spend probably the first five, ten minutes in the then. Going through some of the details of this. If we are going to fully understand the now. Okay, so stay with me at the beginning of this message. And you know, I really thought about this morning resurrecting an old tradition we used to have here. And that was on Sunday morning service. The deacon of the week would always read the passage before I would preach it. And I really thought of resurrecting that tradition this morning. And I think you'll see why in in a moment. Would you stand for the reading of God's word, please? And by the way, I'll take any volunteers who want to read it. (laughs) 
At the same time, when Amphrathel was king of Shinar, Arioch king of Elasar, Ketalormer king of Elam, and Tidal king of Goyim, these kings went to war against Bera king of Sodom, Beersha king of Gomorrah, Shinab king of Adma, Shem- Shemeber king of Zeboim, and the king of Bela, that is Zor. I've never been so grateful as names today like William and Bob and Susan. (laughs) All these later kings joined forces in the valley of uh, Sedim, that is the Dead Sea Valley. For 12 years they had been subject to Kedorlaomer, but in the 13th year they rebelled. In the 14th year, Kedorlaomer and the kings allied with him went out and defeated the Raphaites and Ashtaroth, Karnaim, the Zuzites and Ham, the Emites and Shaveh, Kiriathim, and the Horites in the hill country of Seir, as far as El Paran near the desert. Then they turned back and went to En Mishpat, that is Kadesh, and they conquered the whole territory of the Amalekites as well as the Amorites who were living in Hazizan Tamar. Then the king of Sodom, the king of Gomorrah, the king of Admah, the king of Zeboim, and the king of Bela, that is Zor, marched out and drew up their battle lines in the valley of Sedim. Against Kedorlaomer, king of Elam, Tidal, king of Goyim, Amphrathel, king of Shinar, and Ariok, king of Elassar. Four kings against five. Now the valley of Sedim was full of tar pits, and when the kings of Sodom and Gomorrah fled, some of the men fell into them, and the rest fled to the hills. The four kings seized all the goods of Sodom and Gomorrah and all their food. Then they went away. They also carried off Abram's nephew Lot and his possessions since he was living in Sodom. A man who had escaped came and reported this to Abram the Hebrew. Now Abram was living near the great trees of Mamre, the Amorite, a brother of Eschol and Aner, all of whom were allied with Abram. When Abram heard that his relative had been taken captive, he called out the 318 trained men born in his household and went in pursuit as far as Dan. During the night, Abram divided his men to attack them and he routed them, pursuing them as far as Hobah, north of Damascus. He recovered all the goods and brought back his relative Lot and his possessions together with the women and the other people. After Abram returned from defeating Kedorlaomer and the kings allied with him, the king of Sodom came out to meet him in the valley of Shaveh, that is the king's valley. Then Melchizedek, king of Salem, brought out bread and wine. He was priest of God Most High. And he blessed Abram, saying, Blessed be Abram by God Most High, creator of heaven and earth, and praise be to God Most High, who delivered your enemies into your hand. Then Abram gave him a tenth of everything. 
The king of Sodom said to Abram, Give me the people and the goods for yourself. But Abram said to the king of Sodom, With raised hand I have sworn an oath to the Lord God Most High, Creator of heaven and earth, that I will accept nothing belonging to you, not even a thread or a strap of a sandal, so that you will never be able to say, I made Abram rich. I will accept nothing but what my men have eaten and the share that belongs to the men who went with me to Aner, Eskol, and Mamre. Let them have their share. And may he add his blessing to the reading of his word. You may be seated. As you well know, we have been looking for weeks now at this man, Abram. And as I told you in the first message, by way of habit, I will use Abraham and Abram, I'm sure, interchangeably. Although his name at this point obviously is still Abram. But we've been looking at this character in the Bible, doing a character study on him because he is known in Scripture as someone who was the friend of God. And you know, when we hear a statement like that, we think that surely Abram must have been a perfect man. I mean, how else could anybody have the description given of them in the Bible that they were the friend of God? But as we've seen his life playing out over the past several weeks, we have seen anything but perfection. He stumbled, he faltered, he lied, he deceived, he failed his first test. And so after starting well, he stumbled and God disciplined him, brought him back where he needed to be in his life and he had a fresh start. Now, folks, today I want us to see that the Christian life is not only filled with tests and trials, but there are actually battles to face. We've got to realize we we live in a fallen world where we have an enemy. And unfortunately, our enemy is alive and well and he attacks us. We live in a fallen world and the Bible says as much as possible you and I are to be at peace with one another. But there are times in life that there are going to be battles. There are going to be fights. You know some people want to live just an easy life. But the Christian life is not always a a bake sale. Sometimes it's a battle. Someone once wisely said that a lot of Christians on planet earth today are riding around with a cruise ship mentality whereas we need to understand in this current age we need to rather have a battleship mentality. And what I want us to see here is that there are some things worth fighting for. Sometimes we get ourselves involved in battles where we should have never been in the first place. And you know, when we get in a battle like that, I think of what Proverbs 27, uh, 26, 17 says. It says, like somebody who grabs a stray dog by its ear is somebody who meddles in business, not their own. Would you want to grab a stray dog by its ear? 
Couldn't you see somebody walking up, a stray pit bull or Rottweiler, and you're just grabbing it by its ear? You're asking for trouble. You have no business doing that. And yet some people create fights for themselves in battles they have no business being in whatsoever. But folks, this does not mean that other battles are not worth our attention. There are battles that every believer needs to fight and to win. And God equips us with what we need. I want you to see with me first of all this morning. The Christian life calls for recognition of struggles and even battles. The Christian life calls for recognition of struggles and even battles. There must be a recognition of the need of warfare at appropriate times. Now before we develop that thought further, I want to spend a little bit of time here on the then, the past tense of this passage, sort of setting the table so you can appreciate more what I say later on. What we have here is the, is the first recorded battle between men in the Bible. It's not the first battle to ever take place because even in this text we assume that there had been a previous battle between all of these kings that are mentioned here because one group has already become subject to the other group. Again, I want you to see how conflict has been a part of human existence ever since the fall of man in Genesis chapter 3. But, but as we look at this scene here, it's like something right off the pages of modern day history. There were four kings from the east led by this king by the hard name of Chedorlaomer. And these four kings ruled over areas that would have included parts of modern day Iraq, Iran, Pakistan and Turkey and the five kings that they had defeated ruled in areas uh, that would be in Palestine and Israel and around the Dead Sea area we would refer to that as the Jordan Valley and this is the area where Abram and Lot have settled you remember from last week Lot has pitched his tents towards Sodom He's living in the, uh, the cities of this region. Now these kings from the Jordan Valley get tired of paying tribute to the four kings from the east. And we're told that after 12 years they get together. And though we're not told the details of all the high stakes meetings that took place. They decided they were probably strong enough now to quit paying taxes and tribute to the kings from the east. And so the next year the 13th year they quit paying tribute well again we're not told about all the the meetings that took place but the four kings from the east get together they come up with their battle plan to reinvade the Jordan Valley and once again they are going to reinstitute the paying of tribute now as verse 5 picks up the four kings from the east with their militaries have marched westward. They began attacking. And it's interesting, folks, the approach that they took. They attacked, first of all, the outlying areas so that the kings of the Jordan Valley would have nobody around to help them. 
They basically encircle the region of these kings. They cut off any type of outside help. Then they fight some of their toughest battles first. They attack the Rephaim and the Zuzim. These were tribes made up of giants. Sort of like the uh, Anakim. Who probably Goliath in some way came from some of these tribes. They're giants. And so what are these kings from the east doing first? Not only are they cutting off any outside help from the five kings. But they are taking on some of their hardest battles first. And then they turn their attention to these five kings who by this time are making plans of their own. And so the five kings go out to engage the four. Now one thing that was characteristic of this area of the Jordan Valley was that it was full of tar pits. Some of you may have uh, visited like the tar pits in the L.A. area. You've seen areas like this. Well, the Jordan Valley area had tar pits uh, in it. And they were uh, concentrated there. And sometimes the winds from the desert would blow sand over the top of it. and, And you wouldn't even know that you were in one of those tar pits until you were already in it and it was too late. Well, the five kings from that area get stuck in their own tar pits. And the rest see that they're being defeated. Their side is being defeated. So what do they do? They tuck tail and run. They head to the mountains. And so the four kings from the east are able to totally overwhelm this region. By the way, between 1924 and 1979, a leading archaeologist in the area has uncovered the ruins of all of these cities. And he says, and I quote here, I found that every village in their path had been plundered and left in ruins ruins and the countryside laid waste. The population had been wiped out or led away into captivity. For hundreds of years thereafter the entire area was like an abandoned cemetery hideously unkempt with all its monuments shattered and strewn in pieces on the ground. And so what we have here is a very decisive victory, the four kings against the five. And since the five kings have not been paying tribute over the course of the previous year, the four kings essentially ravage the area and they seize anything of value, including prisoners of war. They take them to be slaves. Now who gets caught up in this mess? Lot does. You know, last week we talked a little bit about Lot, didn't we? We talked about how his poor choices ended up costing him a great deal. Unintended consequences. Remember that? When Abram said, Lot, we're family. Let's not fight over this pasture land. We need to divide and go our separate ways. And the land had been given to Abram. But Abram essentially uh, says to Lot, Lot, you have first choice. You take whatever you want and I'll take what's left. And Lot looks towards the valley region of Sodom and Gomorrah. And because it looked so appealing to the eye, it was so well watered and green and lush. He said, hey, I want to go that direction. And so he makes a decision based. Based on what looks good to him. 
No indication he ever prayed about his decision. He made a decision over what looked good at the moment. And now look at him. Unintended consequences. He's a prisoner of war. He wanted to be just like the world apparently. And now he's caught up in the mess that the world is in. And that's why I said last week, folks, we better be seeking God and praying about major decisions in our lives. And not just going off and doing things. Making major moves and decisions in our life for our family without seeking God. Everything we do needs to be Bathed in prayer. Why? Because God sees tomorrow you and I don't. Amen? And he can direct us. I don't think God would have ever directed Lot down into this area. Folks, don't make your choices based on what looks good at the moment. You may end up paying dearly in the end. Well, as the story progresses, we see that Abram learns of Lot being kidnapped by somebody who has escaped from the battle. Now up until now I want you to notice apparently Abram has not been concerned at all about this battle going on. I mean after all why would he be concerned about this? And you know this is so true to human nature. As long as there are strife, as long as there are problems happening to somebody else, somewhere else... It's no skin off of my teeth. Why should I be concerned about what goes on around the world? Unfortunately, that's the attitude too many Christians have. But now his nephew Lot has been captured. And so he gets involved. It's just all of a sudden become a battle worth getting involved in. And Abram gets together 318 of his trained men, the Bible says, that belong to him. Now that shows how rich Abram's become. He's got 318 trained men ready for battle. Think of the numbers that weren't trained. Think of the women and children. And so you can see how much God has richly blessed Abram already. And he's going to get these men together and they're going to go out and battle against these four kings. And they're going to win the battle for the glory of God. You know what it's, uh, you know what it's like? It's like Gideon in the book of Judges. This is like a foreshadowing of what we're going to see there. How Gideon was called to go up in battle against the Midianites. And, and he had thousands with him. And God said, that's too many. Because if you win that battle, you, you and your men are going to say, and others are going to say, look, we did it by our power and by our strength. So God kept whittling down Gideon's army until there, it was only about 300. And with those 300, Gideon defeated the Midianites. And what did everybody know? Everybody knew that God had done it. Same thing here as Melchizedek is going to say later. Everybody knows God has done this through Abram. 
And you know, this has probably bolstered his reputation in the area as somebody that you don't really want to mess with. And so in this guerrilla-style warfare, Abram divides up his men and they attack the troops of these four kings. They win. And from the way the text reads, they must have not attacked them all at once. They took on different companies at night until they had beat them all. He's a shrewd commander, Abram is. And he he leads his men uh, to victory and he rescues a lot. You know, this is like a picture of Christ, isn't it? A picture of Christ rescuing us. Aren't you glad we serve a God that in his son he's rescued us when we didn't deserve it? We had made choices, we didn't deserve it, and yet we were rescued. This was definitely a war worth fighting, and Abram recognizes this. But folks, I want to I apply all of this to any believer today, ways we can appreciate this text. Again, the Christian life calls for warfare at appropriate times. There are some battles that you and I are going to have to uh, wage war in whether you like it or not and first of all I want you to see that it's because we have an enemy who seeks our destruction folks who is it that is behind all of the warfare all of the conflict all of the hatred all of the division among mankind today who's ultimately behind all of that Satan is and you know, the Bible says in 1 Peter 5, 8 and 9 that we are to be of, be of sober spirit and to be on the alert because your adversary, the devil, prowls about like a roaring lion seeking someone to devour, but resist him firm in your faith knowing that, at the, that the same experiences of suffering are being accomplished by your brethren who are in the world. Regardless of whether or not you want to engage him in in battle he engages you and you know what folks Jesus never doubted the existence of the devil in the Bible there are some people today that doubt Satan's existence but the Lord Jesus Christ never doubted that we have an enemy Jesus called him a liar and the father of lies. He's the enemy of our souls. And Ephesians 6.10 and following says, We struggle not against flesh and blood, but against principalities and powers, rulers in high places. Ladies and gentlemen, we are engaged in spiritual warfare, like it or not. And I may be speaking to somebody here this morning that you know beyond a shadow of a doubt that something you are going through right now, you are being attacked by the enemy. Folks, all we need to, un to, to see to understand this is simply read the Bible. I don't think we have to turn to other sources, but I remember years ago there was a popular series out by Frank Peretti, This Present Darkness. 
And there were Christians telling me at that time, reading those books, saying, Pastor, I don't think my eyes have ever been opened as much to demonic, the demonic presence in the world and the warfare that we are in as believers. Well, folks, you don't have to read a fictional uh, book series like Frank Peretti's to understand that. All you need to do is understand the Bible and read the Bible because it's told us all along we're engaged against an enemy and we're in a spiritual battle. And this is something every believer is involved in in some way somehow at some point in your life if you're walking with Jesus Christ somebody said if you're walking with the devil you're never going to meet him but you turn around doing an about face and start walking with Jesus and you're going to bump head on into the devil and that's true isn't it there are battles we must face, battles that come close to home, battles that involve us and our loved ones because we have an enemy. But that's not all. We have brothers and sisters in need as well. Lot probably would not have survived had Abram not done what he did. Abram could have argued that, you know, Lot is simply getting what he deserved. After all, he picked the best land. Hey, he made his choice. He wanted to go to the area of Sodom and Gomorrah. Now let him live with the consequences of all that. And on top of that, Abram probably could have been thinking, you know, hey, I'm safe. I've not been attacked. Folks, think of all the people around you who are suffering. You know, unfortunately, Satan is alive and well in society today. And some fellow Christians that you, you probably have come to mind right now have made very poor choices in their lives. Sometimes we do some pretty dumb things, don't we? I know I do. Would you agree that you do? You know, I'm, I'm amazed sometimes as a pastoral counselor. Some of the couples or individuals that will sit in front of me and tell me what's happened to them, what they're involved in, what they've done. And, you know, if it wasn't for the same propensity all of us have to go that same way, I'd be sitting there thinking, are you kidding me? How in the world did you think this was going to turn out? How could you be so stupid? We do some stupid stuff. But folks, what did Jesus tell us to do? In the Sermon on the Mount, he said, we're even, we're even be two milers, right? You walk with somebody a mile and they ask you to go. Context is different, but principles say, if they ask you to go another mile with them, you go another mile with them. You know, your enemy asks this of you. You do this. You, you help people. Certainly those around us struggling, we need to be second mile people. Uh, Type people with others. Why? Because Christ helped the undeserving. He helped you. And he helped me. And you know what it is when we get involved with people who are suffering? It's called ministry. You remember what Cain asked the Lord? Am I my brother's keeper? And what's the answer to that? Yes, you are your brother's keeper. If you're a believer in Jesus Christ, you are your brother's keeper. In a sense, 
We're to be there for one another. Abram certainly acted as Lot's keeper. They were both pilgrims in this world. And, and by the way, the New Testament refers to Lot being a believer. Apparently he was just weaker than Abram. And sometimes what does a weaker brother need? He needs a stronger brother to come alongside of him and help him when he's down. And don't kid yourself that you won't need that at some point. Even if the battle has not come directly to us, there are believers all around us who are in the midst of warfare. And they need us. And for their sakes, we need to get involved. The Christian life is a call that one another as brothers and sisters in Christ. We get involved in life with one another. We, we help one another when we, we struggle we're not to be just individuals saying, well, I've got what I need in life. I'll just forget about you. We are a family, the family of God in Christ. And so we need to be there to help people. You know, Luke 19 says that Jesus came on a rescue mission. He came to seek and to save those who were lost. And he's invited us to join with him in this rescue mission. We dare not claim to be followers of Christ while at the same time not being concerned about others. Now another reason uh, to fight. There is the battle for truth. I think of Jude verses 3 and 4. Jude writes, Beloved, while I was making every effort to write to you about our common salvation, I felt the necessity to write to you appealing that you continue earnestly for the faith which was once for all delivered to the saints. Why would Jude say here that he had changed his reason for writing to the congregation that he was writing to? He wanted to write to them about one subject matter and he ended up switching gears. Why? Well, verse 4 tells us, For certain persons have crept in unnoticed. Those who were long beforehand marked out for this condemnation. Ungodly persons who turn the grace of our God into into licentiousness and deny our only master and Lord Jesus Christ you know what folks I have never seen God's truth attacked like it is being attacked today it's incredible we need to listen to what Paul told Timothy in 2 Timothy 1. He said, Timothy, guard what has been entrusted to you. And he went on and told him, fight the good fight of faith. Hold on to the faith. As believers today, we have a treasure entrusted to us. And what is that treasure? That treasure is the gospel. And we are to be stewards of the gospel. We've been entrusted with the gospel. And all around us today, whatever direction we look in, we see people out in the world attacking the truth of the gospel. Like it or not, we're in this battle. Jesus said, you and I are to be the salt of the earth and the light of the world. Salt back then would preserve from decay. 
They didn't have a manna refrigerators or whirlpool or things like that. If they were going to preserve their meat, they would have to rub salt into it. And that salt rubbed into the meat would prevent decay. And Jesus says that's how you and I as believers are to be in this world. We're to have that preserving effect. And, And not only that preserving effect, but we're to be shining the light into the darkness, telling the truth of God's Word. That's part of the battle. That's part of the warfare we're involved in. And so like it or not, folks, if you're a Christian who names the name of Jesus Christ, these are three reasons right here for you to be involved in warfare. We've got an enemy. And we've got brothers and sisters in need. And God's truth is being attacked. And so like Abram, in our context, we need to roll up our sleeves and get involved. Secondly, I want you to see, the Christian life calls for preparation. Abram enlisted the help of others. This is not something he could have done on his own. He gets together 318 of his men. And he didn't just call these men together and say, Men, I know that you're used to holding a shovel, but now just go out and battle these, five, uh, these four kings. Do the best you can. No, the Bible says here, they were trained. They were prepared. Folks, we got to be prepared. 2 Corinthians 11 says, For though we walk in the flesh, we do not war according to the flesh. For the weapons of our warfare are not of the flesh, but divinely powerful for the destruction of fortresses. We are destroying speculations and every lofty thing raised up against the knowledge of God. And we are taking every thought captive to the obedience of Christ. And then in Ephesians 6, uh, Paul tells us the weapons that God has given us in this warfare we're involved in so you and I can be prepared and trained. He says in Ephesians 6, Stand firm, therefore, having girded your loins with truth, having put on the breastplate of righteousness, having shod your feet with the preparation of the gospel of peace, in addition to all, taking up the shield of faith with which you'll be able to extinguish all the flaming missiles of the evil one and take the helmet of salvation and the sword of the spirit, which is the word of God, with all prayer and petition, pray at all times in the spirit. You see these weapons here God's given us? So we can be prepared and trained and ready. The belt of truth. Like the soldier, the Roman soldier's belt that other weapons and so forth would hang from. It was the belt that would support their whole torso area. And and God's truth is like to be this belt that wraps around us and holds us. And then the breastplate of righteousness, we're to live out God's truth in daily life. And the feet shod with the preparation of the gospel of peace, we're we're to share the good news of Jesus Christ. You see, we're not just on the defense, we are on the offense. And we're to stand in faith. We have the shield of faith with which we can extinguish all the fiery darts of the evil one. And we're to put on the helmet of salvation. In other words, we are to think about uh, how we think about God in his word is to govern how we act. We are to think properly so we can act and battle properly. 
And we're to take the word of God to be our sword. That's our offensive weapon. We're not called to fight with the weapons of this world. But let the word of God speak force on issues. And we are to pray. Folks, God has given us weapons. So we can be trained and prepared. These are weapons for our warfare. But we've got to be prepared in advance. So when the heat of the battle comes, we'll be ready to stand and stand strong. Well, thirdly and lastly, I want you to see quickly how the Christian life calls for consecration. Look at verses 17 through 20. Just look at those verses as I go over these. What, what we read uh, in Genesis 14, the first half, we see this warfare going on between the kings and then between Abram and these kings from the east. But as many writers point out, there is a further warfare that is going on from verse 17 down to the end of the chapter. It's a different kind of warfare, but it's warfare just the same because what is at stake here is not Lot and Lot's possessions, but rather Abram's heart. There are two very different characters that come out to meet Abram. On the one hand there is Melchizedek and on the other hand there is the king of Sodom. And folks, as I'm going to point out to you, you could not have had two more opposite figures. Melchizedek who the New Testament refers to as a type of Christ is one character. Some people think he's a pre-incarnate uh, version of Christ himself, which is not the case at all. Folks, that is not who Melchizedek is. But Melchizedek leads Abram in a time of worship and reminds him that what he has accomplished, he has done so only through the grace and the strength of the Lord. He's recognizing that God is the one who has delivered Abram's enemy into his hands. That's the significance about what he brings out and presents to Abram and what Melchizedek says. This is a time of worship and praise to God and a recognition of what God has done. God has delivered Abram's enemies into his hands. And in response to this, Abram pays a tithe to Melchizedek. And Abram consecrates himself to the Lord. He puts his faith to action. Now the second person who comes out to meet Abram is the king of Sodom. The king of Sodom in the Hebrew, it's, it's very gruff. Give me people, you take possessions. There's no gratitude, there's no thanks, there's nothing of that sort. Now this is a temptation for Abram to forget about God and the blessings of God. Remember we've already been told in chapter 13 that Sodom was a very wicked city. Even though the king of Sodom might have meant well, it would have identified Abram with them. Abram refuses to, to, to take anything from Sodom and be identified with them in any way. 
He certainly doesn't want to ruin his testimony by having the king of Sodom say one day, well, after all, Abram, I'm the one who's made you rich. You have everything you had because I let you keep everything. Folks, legally, it was all Abram's to keep. I want you to understand that. The winner takes the spoils. Abram could have taken it all. But you know what? He realized something that the Apostle Paul said centuries later where Paul said to the Corinthians, All things may be lawful for me, but not all things are expedient. There's some things you could do as a believer. There's some things you could have as a believer that you might be perfectly on good standing having that. But you know to go that direction would not help you to grow spiritually. And so you don't do it. Some of the writers on this chapter here leave you with the impression that this battle right here is even more significant than the battle that Abram engaged in against the four kings. Because this battle is defining and redefining who Abram is going to be as a man. Is he going to be a man who's going to give God glory and rely on God? Or is he going to be a man who relies on men's resources and the provision of men? What type of man is Abram going to be? A line is being drawn in the sand here. Very important battle. And Abram in every way shows that he is a man consecrated fully to the Lord. He is not going to let somebody like the king of Sodom. He's not going to let something like the possessions of Sodom that he's won back. He's not going to be defined by those things. He's going to be defined By the true and the living God. A man consecrated to God. In the midst of battle. Because again, you're involved in warfare. You have an enemy. You have brothers and sisters in need. And God's truth is being attacked. So are you going to be prepared? And are you going to consecrate yourself to the Lord? What type of person are you going to be? Because there's a real fight going on. What type of person are you going to be? I want you to bow in prayer with me. Again, recognize that the Christian life involves a battle. It involves a battle. Don't give up. Stand firm. Realize that the Christian life isn't supposed to be like A trip on a cruise ship. You need to prepare yourself. You need to be ready ahead of time. Don't wait until you're in your most desperate time. To try to frantically learn and utilize what you need to learn and have ready. Consecrate yourself to the Lord. You know, Abram won both battles here. He didn't just win one and then let his guard down. 
And that's so true to life too. You, you win one, another one comes. You've got to consecrate yourself to the Lord if, you, if you're going to hope to win each battle that the enemy hurls at you. Ask God for strength. Surrender your life to Him. Consecrate yourself to Him. That come what may in life. You don't want to be somebody relying on your resources or others. You want to be somebody relying on God. And you want to give God the glory. And I may be speaking to somebody here that they need to see that there's one greater than Abraham who fought the greatest battle of all for you, the battle of sin. And he conquered sin at the cross that you might be forgiven and have life. He fought a battle that you and I could have never fought. And now he stands at the right hand of God to come to your aid. But you've got to repent and come to him. Is there somebody here that needs to do that? That needs to come forward today trusting Christ and Christ alone? Father, thank you for the battle that we read about here. And the lessons we glean from it. It's like what Paul said to the Corinthians. The things we read about the saints of old are recorded for our benefit. Because they apply to us today. Lord, help us to be strong in this fight. Help us to give you glory and rely upon you. Lord, I pray that we would be the type of people that others would see how we're handling the battles of life. And they would draw encouragement and strength and help from us. May we be salt and light for you in this lost world. We pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Would you stand, please?